Hey there, you're listening to the Water and Music Podcast. My name is Sherry Hu, and I'm a freelance writer focused on how technology is transforming music and culture. In this podcast, we unpack the fine print behind big ideas in music and tech, featuring a curated slate of young innovators, leaders, artists, and thinkers from across the music business. The goal is not just to get you thinking differently about how the music business works today, but also to challenge your assumptions about where it might be going in the future. Today's guest is Kira One, whose music you're hearing in the background right now. He's a Korean-American MC and producer who's been releasing his own music since the early 2000s. He's one of the most influential producers in the realm of jazz hop, a subgenre that combines jazz and hip-hop instrumentals and styles into a singular sound. He's also currently embarking on one of the first-ever lo-fi hip-hop tours across the U.S., stopping in cities including Brooklyn, Seattle, Chicago, L.A., and Hawaii and collaborating with a lot of local lo-fi hip-hop producers along the way. Kiro graciously took the time to chat with me about his experience doing the tour so far and gave a really interesting window into what inspired him in the first place to launch a tour for a genre that's really as online of a genre as you can get, given that it's been groomed and is primarily consumed today through channels like 24-7 live streams on YouTube, as well as playlists on SoundCloud and Spotify. We also dive into some larger themes and debates around lo-fi hip-hop, like whether the genre is maybe oversaturated right now, or still not professionalized and legitimized enough, given its scrappy creative nature. Finally, there's a strong connection between lo-fi hip-hop and Asian culture that's really important to discuss and is particularly relevant for Kiro, given that he got one of his biggest early breaks through the underground scene in Japan. There's a lot to unpack for both new and longtime bands of Kiro and of Lofa Hip Hop at large. So let's get started. All right, I'm here with Kiro One. Kiro, thanks so much for joining. Hey, thanks for having me. So you're already into your Lofi Hip Hop tour, right? Like you've already done a couple of shows? Yeah, so we've done three shows, two in Seattle, one in uh, the Bay Area, and we're going to do a couple more this weekend. I'm just really curious to hear what those shows have been like, given that this is one of the first tours that's dedicated to the genre of lo-fi hip-hop specifically. Like, is there anything that's come up that's been like surprising or unexpected for you? Yeah, I mean, this whole thing has obviously sort of been like a testing the waters sort of thing, not just because of the genre per se, but also because of the different things that we're doing for this tour. Um, for example, my set consists of DJ portion along with a live portion. And for the DJ portion, I'm doing strictly vinyl. And that's something that I started my career with, but haven't done in like a long time. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> so it was just kind of weird getting back into the groove of that and figuring things out. It's very different from, you know, the digital stuff that, that I've been doing recently. So that was always kind of like a interesting thing because it's, I had moments where pretty much every single venue that I played at had issues with their turntables and my records not like working correctly, or there was some feedback or noise. Mm -hmm. Um, so on the technical side of things, there was that sort of uh, experimentation, but then music format wise and the way that people embrace it, I think it was overall very positive and um, very refreshing because, yeah, I haven't been to too many events in recent memory where we could play chill music and 
people will vibe out, you know. So yeah, overall, um, it's it's been pretty pretty amazing. So just to think about like the name of the tour and the official artwork that's out like on Facebook events and such, yeah. it's taken from a meme. And I yes. find that like really fascinating. So just like really quickly for those who aren't familiar, it's like a screen cap from this anime show, I guess, about this character who's pointing to a butterfly and mischaracterizing it as a pigeon. And it's like become this template across the internet for people to express any kind of like misunderstanding or confusion or just like cultural satire online. So I'm really curious what was going through your mind when you named your tour or at least like structure your title after that meme. Like, it seems yeah. like you're trying to make some kind of statement. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like making a statement without making a, like, a forcible statement, I guess. Um, I was okay. thinking about the name of this tour, and after talking to a lot of people about just the genre in itself, lo-fi, I came to find that a lot of people had different opinions about it. Yeah. And although they were kind of very similar opinions, they were still different. You know, people thought it was this or it was that. You know, then people reference like things that are on YouTube versus things that are on, you know, maybe Adult Swim or, you know, things from the past. So I realized that this is a sound that a lot of people are familiar with, but can't exactly describe it for me. You know, like they can maybe give me a mood or they can give me like a couple adjectives, but they can't tell me exactly what it is. And I myself can't tell you exactly what it is, you know. So Mm -hmm. that's why I came up with this idea to call it what you know, what is lo-fi or is this a lo-fi? And basically when I mentioned that to a friend of mine, I was talking to Matt, um, he basically brought up the idea that meme that was a bit dead. Um, you know, I think it was like active a year or two ago. Mm -hmm. And when he brought that up, I was like, Oh, that's perfect. You know, but in the meme, um, you know, technically he's saying, I, I believe it's like an Android and he's like saying, is this a butterfly or is this a pigeon? when, you know, clearly it's a butterfly. Mm-hmm. And so I decided to go with what is a lo-fi, which actually isn't following the meme exactly. And I know some people have pointed it out, but it's essentially a way of saying that because if if he said, is this a lo-fi? He actually knows what lo-fi is. Mm-hmm. So we're saying, mm-hmm. what is a lo-fi? Kind of that makes sense. Uh, referring to the fact that we don't exactly know what, <laughs> what that is. So <laughs> yeah, a small nuance, but yeah, that's just to... Just to uh, explain to any of the haters out there, you know, (laughs) but uh, yeah, so that's essentially how we put that together and just kind of honestly, like I just slapped an idea together, like a quick flyer with that meme. And it was kind of like a joke at first and it wasn't like serious. And then it was like things started moving with the venues and they wanted to book. Mm. And so I needed to come up with something quick. And so... Uh, I just had a designer just flush it out, and then that's how we did it. Very cool. Yeah, it's so interesting to hear like the various sources of, I guess, conflict around where people think lo-fi comes from or what they think it is. Because I think, it, like, if you bring up lo-fi hip hop right now, or if you just if you even look at the articles that have been written about it over the last year or so, the concentration is very much in the YouTube space or like the fact that you have all these you know, these channels of lo-fi hip-hop radio beats to relax slash study slash chill to. Yeah. And I, just in doing research for today's topic, I realized that like YouTube didn't even have live streaming enabled until 2013, I think. Mm-hmm. And it was only after that point that a lot of channels really started coming up and bringing this genre 
and this kind of sound back to the forefront, back to a new generation. Yeah. Um, so for you specifically, given that you've been making music for so long, yeah, have have those have those kinds of channels played a role in your own career and like in you building out your own audience, or do you see that as like a largely different paradigm that's happening? Yeah, not not those live streaming channels specifically, because to my knowledge, the lo-fi specific channels have never really used my music in them or anything like that. But okay, um, and and just going back to the name of this tour and the the concept behind it, um, I did want to also point out that we weren't just going to play lo-fi hip hop. It was going to also be like lo-fi hip hop, jazz hip hop, um, chill beats, chill hop. And I wanted to encompass all of that. And so, um, yeah, for me, my career has always started with sort of a chill hip hop tag or genre, I guess you could say. And in a lot of ways, I've always just kind of been around that. And I didn't really think like, oh, what I'm doing is you know, going to be lo-fi or Mm -hmm. never did I think I want to make lo-fi just because it never started like that. And um, nobody called it that back then. Mm. So I think it was where I had heard some comments, just people in passing and even on um, social media and YouTube, people saying, oh, this specific beat that I had made sounded like lo-fi or this is like kind of like lo-fi hip hop. And then that's when I started realizing like, okay, what is this term and why is it related to me? Mm, and then that's mm. when I started finding out more about it, finding out about sort of how the the resurrection of the sound has morphed into this new term. That's so fascinating. Like, so you, you discovered this, I guess, the fact that it's resurging, like after the fact, like you were sort of drawn to that rather than um, the term lo-fi wasn't really around when you were coming up and you just sort of no. characterized it. Because your, your specific sound as incorporating jazz elements with hip-hop elements exactly and and to be fair like (laughs) i didn't even actually call it jazz hip-hop when i was starting out either you know i started in i started putting out music uh, around 2002 or so um cd single and then records and um in the beginning of my career uh a lot of it started because i was releasing records and it started doing well in japan right and so when i went to japan for my first tour it was fascinating because the Japanese people were the first ones to start really subcategorizing hip hop. You know, at that time, if you went into CD stores like Tower Records or The Warehouse or uh, Virgin Music Store, they did not have cate- subcategories for hip hop. At the most, you would probably see gangster rap and then hip hop. Um, maybe East Coast and West Coast, maybe, but that was like if you were lucky. But in Japan, you would go into a store and you would literally see a section that's called jazz hip hop. That is so cool. And, and this is back in like the early 2000s. And then you would see a section called gangster rap. You would see a section called Chicano rap. Yeah. You would mm-hmm. see a section. It was all broken down into like every specific subgenre. So they were so ahead of their time um, in terms of subcategorizing and making subgenres. And now it's funny how it's such a crucial thing nowadays to actually just you know figure out what you know even uh just for digital purposes like oh i want to listen to this style you know what do i look up so yeah and i'm thinking a lot about like the lo-fi hip-hop style or aesthetic specifically and how it intersects with asian culture just because if you look at all these videos on youtube now like the background is like 
anime style clips yes so i feel like the intersection between how asian culture influences or plays a part in the rise or the resurrection of this genre is like so fascinating but it's really good to know that like yeah it goes all the way back to how this kind of music was represented like in a brick and mortar environment yeah exactly yeah it is interesting how you know we mentioned japan and the the subcategories and then how yeah, anime does play a big part of it. And I think a lot of it too is just because, yeah, again, this is, you know, sort of like hyper theory, you know, just saying like, oh, a lot of influence came from Japan originally. But if someone were to ask me just casually, I would say that Japan has always embraced sort of this jazz, hip hop, um, very chill, melodic hip hop sound. And I think Japan as a culture is not, when it comes to like the music that they like, it doesn't have to be like so, um, always so aggressive with the hip hop. You know, they like to have stuff that's very relaxing. You know, it's a, it's a chaotic mm-hmm. society in like the cities and things like there's so many people, so much going on and subway trains and all that, you know, and with all the, like the work ethic there, um, just crazy working hours, like, you know, they want to relax to some beats. And so I think mm. that need for sort of a lo-fi hip hop um, or jazz hip hop uh, escapism, I think was so necessary for that society. And so I don't know, that's just my theory, but I think that's why they embraced it so much. And that's why it produced actually a lot of artists that made that style of music, like New Jabez and um, Cradle Orchestra and a lot mm-hmm. of these other artists that came around that time and also embraced the few artists that were making that sound worldwide, um, like myself. And that's when I think sort of that whole like style became a thing in Japan and, and became subcategorized. Yeah. And I think thinking about jazz hip hop specifically, I feel like this could be I mean, like an entire dissertation, like let alone a podcast episode, but um, just the way that Japanese culture was influenced by and like internalized jazz as a whole, yeah, like as a genre, like in throughout the 20th century also, it's like just super fascinating and like how a lot of local artists like put their own spin on it, sort of made it like, you know, very uniquely Japanese jazz. And I think that definitely translates to like the lo-fi space as well. Yeah. I mean, one thing's for sure is, you know, Japanese people definitely know their music and they've like historically, and they've always embraced that sort of jazz, um, soulful, melodic, um, just groovy sound, for lack of a better word. Going back to a point you made about how like people were approaching you saying like your music sounds like lo-fi or lo-fi hip-hop, even if it wasn't deliberate on your part. Mm-hmm. So after that interaction happened, and when you went and like looked at the lo-fi hip-hop landscape, was there anything that stood out to you as similar and also different from, I guess, the approach that you took in like making your own music like thinking about like comparing the modern landscape from yeah from your own yeah yeah I mean one thing I found was that overall there was a similar vibe but then a lot of the channels and playlists and examples of the sound were actually quite well not quite but a little different so one thing I could say is that I felt like a lot of the elements in that sound did have a lot of jazz and melodic elements or jazzy rather jazzy elements to it Mm -hmm. Um, use of a lot of Fender Rhodes keyboard, which was used heavily in a lot of fusion jazz and like soul music back in the day and and now in a lot of types of music. But that was definitely a a huge influence, I think. And I think ultimately a lot of the beats that I heard were 
similar to the stuff that we've always been making just a little slower that's all it is yeah <laughs> and and sometimes <laughs> they just they just kind of take out more elements so it's not as distracting yeah or maybe distracting is not the best best word because i actually hate the term study beats i think it's stupid <laughs> but mm-hmm. uh but yeah it's like i guess taking out elements that'll allow it to be more background than normal yeah can you actually elaborate on that element of like not liking the term study beats because i feel like for better or for worse that is like one of the primary driving forces commercially behind this resurgence of this genre, genre right yeah yeah no i get it i totally get it and um I think the reason why I specifically don't like it is just because I think it minimalizes just the artistry and just what the music is in general, but for sure, mm-hmm. you know, whatever you want to use it for. It's like, if you're listening to a house track and then you're like, Oh, this is workout music or, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's just kind of like minimalizing like what the artist may have intended. But at the end of the day, it's like, whatever, you know, like I'm not, gonna cry over it i just don't i just won't specifically use that term (laughs) yeah yeah i just noticed there have been more and more artists and labels in this space speaking out about that problem so there's there's this article on uh, passion of the weiss which is this music blog and it was with Uh it was an interview with the founder of chill hop music which i think is one of the biggest uh just like lo-fi hip-hop labels and platforms yeah. today like i think that yeah they run one of the most popular 24 7 live streams of this music and mm-hmm. the founder admitted that uh, the exact quote is we don't want the music to be seen as a throwaway or interchangeable product mm. and like that framing really stood out to me because i feel like yeah on these channels that you know whether they're framed as a as a study beats channel or like as a workout playlist on spotify or like another streaming service the songs on those channels are like precisely that like they are interchangeable yeah in service of the goal of whatever the activity is right like studying mm. and working out yeah um and so like one question that comes up a lot and i'm curious to hear your thoughts on this is how as an artist do you stand out in this landscape and like actually cultivate a fan base that will recognize your name and like follow you in the long term mm-hmm. as opposed to like from the artist's perspective just being anonymized and then, like, yet yeah, being anonymized in service of the channel. Like, mm. I think that's a big challenge. Like, how do you break past that barrier? I don't know if you've encountered that in your own career at all or, like, what advice you might have. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I encounter that all the time in the career or in my career. I mean, being in the game for, you know, over 15 to 20 years, it's like you constantly have to figure out, like, how are you going to um, continue? You know, how are you going to be relevant? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, I think that actually could be a whole <laughs> that could be a whole another podcast in itself as well and sure. uh-huh. um, I've also actually started like right before I uh, started this mini tour I came up with um, an idea to do a few series on my YouTube channel where I sort of talk about my advice and tips on breaking into the music industry uh, quitting your day job and how to make money as an artist and then I wanted to do another piece on longevity in the game. So um, hopefully I'm going to get to that as soon as I can uh, get through all of this stuff first. But I think just in short, some of the things that I was going to talk about was the idea, because I think it doesn't matter if it's lo-fi hip hop or if it's like R&B or rock or whatever your sound is. I think at the end of the day, the same core principles apply. You know, you need to create a brand and you need to incorporate business strategies along with just your artistry. And so I think ultimately having a good product is always great. 
you know, and that's always sort of been my MO because I was never in it for the business side per se. It was more about the music and that's why I got into this. However, I've come to realize that having a strong product doesn't actually um, solidify longevity or necessarily standing out per se. For sure. Mm-hmm. It's, it's the business side that can alter that drastically too. So yeah, hopefully I get to talk to talk about that more in the series that I, that I'm going to do, but that's essentially what I'd like to talk about. Yeah. So I, I can also see people arguing that lo-fi hip hop is essentially the opposite of the dynamic you just mm-hmm. mentioned in that it prioritizes the business at the expense of the artistry. Mm. So like I can I can totally see like people seeing the rise of lo-fi hip hop and being like, oh, this is so cool. I want to like start my own channel just like streaming this music and yeah. not actually care about the artist so much as about right. like, you know, like the curation in the channel. Or like from the artist perspective, seeing like, oh, lo-fi hip hop seems like a pretty good cash grab right now. I'm gonna make this kind of music that has a certain type of beat that can that's like optimized for being played on these channels even if it doesn't really like maybe reflect what I want to do creatively I think that's like one fear or criticism that people have about where this genre is going like the fact that maybe it is a bit like saturated relatively in terms of the amount of music that's being made and curated in in this respect such that people are like just making these lo-fi hip-hop beats or songs just for the business of it and not necessarily for the artistry and then and then you have the added challenge of how do you like de-anonymize yourself and like develop a long-term audience? So yeah, I, I, th- yeah. I think it's like kind of an opposite dynamic in that way. Yeah, yeah, that's that's yeah. a valid point. And uh, yeah, definitely see where you come from. I, I could also argue that also something like EDM music could be something that could be used in that fashion too, because there's so many of these EDM producers that are you know born every day and ultimately you know, you could just get like a sample pack or some kind of producer pack and then just kind of whip it together on your laptop. And I feel like it's something that you can just see as being more of a, oh, I want to end up on this playlist or I want to end up on this YouTube channel and, you know, get people dancing and, you know, sort of in that way, it's like kind of similar, you know, it could be like the opposite end of the spectrum of like style wise, energy wise, but it's still the same end result, I feel like. Mm, you know? mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And now also like tying this back to your tour and to this concept of bringing lo-fi hip-hop, which at least in its current incarnation is very much an online genre. Yeah. Like I, I very much understand it as like an internet native genre, right? And like yeah. bringing that offline. And like you mentioned that like, yeah, like there is this audience that is willing to just, you know, vibe out to these kinds of beats in person. But yeah, I'm just wondering like what that dynamic is like and like what it takes to pull that off successfully like is it is it just a matter of like recreating the online experience offline or like are there additional elements you need to think about yeah it's uh it's interesting because yeah like you know again I typically haven't been to a lot of events where you wouldn't hear trap or something super bouncy all night if you were going to like a hip-hop centric or even electronic style event, you know, it's like Um, there's always like a certain hour where that starts and then it's like never stops. Yep. Mm -hmm. Exactly. It's like when people aren't really there yet, (laughs) you know, Yeah. (laughs) it's just like the get your drinks. And so that was definitely like sort of a fear when we were putting together the tour, but I've actually, you know, I've been throwing events and helping out with events for years and 
one of my things that I enjoy doing is putting together sort of a timeline and getting a flow. I think there's an art form to that whole thing too. You know, like much respect to those who throw events and organize their timelines and, you know, the peaks and valleys of a, of a night. I don't want to just put together an event and, you know, market it well and have people come and then not enjoy the night or not feel like they had a great experience. And so I like to put together these timelines. And so for some of the shows that we're doing there, actually all of the shows are fairly different in a sense because we have different local artists that we're bringing in or some venues want the music to go from, you know, a little bit longer or some of the events are on a Friday night as opposed to like a Sunday or a Thursday, like a weekday where people got work the next day. So taking in all those things into consideration, I crafted this timeline so that we can, you know, figure out a nice flow to the evening and taking into consideration everybody else's schedules. So ultimately, yeah, we just wanted to have peaks and valleys, you know, it's not going to just be, I know there's some people that, that mentioned on some of the Facebook posts and comments and events like, Oh, can I bring my pillows? Or like, you know, like, (laughs) am I allowed to study? Am I allowed to study there? You know, and and shit like that. And so, but yeah, one thing that, you know, if they see, actually, we just released a recap video for one of the shows we did um, in Oakland um, all three shows were sold out, but we only got video at the Oakland one. Mm-hmm. And the recap video, clearly, you could see that people were all vibing, having a good time. It wasn't just like standing around and waiting. It was like people were just really just moving to all kinds of chill beats. And it was really refreshing to see. And one of my biggest inspirations actually was there's a DJ and um, artist named Mark Farina, DJ Mark Farina. Mm-hmm. He was signed to Ohm Records. And, you know, he was definitely like, a lot of people knew about his series called Mushroom Jazz, which actually he included me on the volume six, which was dope. But he had this series going on for maybe seven or eight volumes. And um, I went to the release party in San Francisco, and this was like probably 2007 or something. And it was a big venue. It was him and it was his Mushroom Jazz Night. And he was playing like jazz hip hop all night. And everybody in that place was dancing. (laughs) Like it was crazy. Mm -hmm. I couldn't, Mm -hmm. I I, I didn't experience that since I had been in Japan in like 2003, which was, yeah, where that was happening like pretty frequently. You could go to an event and there'd be just chill hip hop, jazz hip hop all night. And so, yeah. Thinking back to that, I knew that it was possible. And so that was one of my inspirations on sort of putting this timeline together and feeling confident that, you know what, even though this portion of the night is going to be really chill, that people will still like have a good time. Yeah, totally. And actually, just like informally in conversations with friends, I was just like, I was laughing when you're saying people are commenting like, oh, can I bring my pillow or can I, can I study? Because like yeah. one of my friends like had this idea of opening a 24-7 lo-fi hip-hop cafe where like the the aesthetic would be kind of like anime inspired or there'd be some kind of like wooden finish on the inside and there'd just be this kind of music playing in the background and everyone could just like come study or like maybe get coffee or something. Um, yeah, no, that's, yeah. <laughs> I mean, shoot, I could see that happening, you know? <laughs> it's like perfect. Yeah, definitely. And I, I had a question specifically about the music 
that you're making and also that like the, the, the type of sounds that we're hearing in lo-fi hip-hop and so for your music specifically what is the breakdown of instrumentals that like you're performing yourself versus sampling is it like majority like self-performed or are you also doing some sampling oh yeah i mean actually my career has always been a most for the most part a mixture of both when i put out my first debut album windmills of the soul my dream was to mix sampling with live instruments and so Mm -hmm. You'll hear a lot of like live guitar, saxophone, um, keyboard. I mean, everything is on there. And a lot of the inspiration came actually from the band, The Roots. Oh, cool, cool. Mm Because, yeah, like when I first, you know, when I was following hip hop, you know, for the longest time, you would know on one hand who was, who were the artists that were using live instruments or at least like a full band, live band that was doing hip hop. And definitely The Roots was like my biggest influence in that and, I just felt like, okay, I don't have a band, but I, and, and I love the art of sampling and I love sort of that analog grittiness to it. And so what better way to just marry the two. And so that's kind of always been my starting point. And then there definitely have been songs that have not had really any samples. You know, we, I just kind of orchestrated it all together, but yeah, I don't really have any rules or anything with that. I just feel like at the end of the day, I would love to come up with everything, you know, just with instruments, but sometimes you just can't achieve that feeling and sound if you're just using these modern new live instruments. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I do love the sampling also and primarily as a way to get a sort of feeling and creative vibe going. Yeah. And so the reason why I bring that up, just also in the context of what's happening in lo-fi hip hop at large, I think there is this stereotype that lo-fi hip-hop is like not that professionalized or i feel like uh-huh. like the trope of the the people who are making lo-fi hip-hop is like mm-hmm. the the 16 or 17 year old in their bedroom yeah. um like yeah right like trying out production for the first time and then mm-hmm. like in, in that image i think they're like they're probably doing like 90 95 percent like samples just like finding some kind yeah. of instrumental online like sticking or a sample kind of pack lo-fi. or something right mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and then sticking like a yeah sticking like a lo-fi beat on it and then throwing it up online and like having that be your song and then also it seems like like the lo-fi hip-hop space seems to run a lot on tracks that are just like a minute and a half long so it's just like yeah. you find a sample you loop the beat yeah for like a minute 30 seconds and it kind of just fades out just like this morning i was listening to one of the many lo-fi hip-hop playlists on spotify Mm -hmm. and just like what the vibe is like and that like that's that's it it's just like it's much more vignette driven than like Mm -hmm. actually having some kind of arc or or live instrumentation or i guess in your case you're also like rapping a lot um over your own beats as well yeah it's just like very much like taking a back seat but more more background um type of style stuff is what you're referring to right yeah yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah Yeah, no, like, peaks. And, you know, here's one thing I'll say, though, is, like, my Facebook timeline at one point was just flooded with all these jaded old, like, (laughs) jaded old, like, DJs and hip-hop dudes that, you know, that I've been friends with just for over decades, you know. And, you know, a lot of them I just had to filter out because my perspective on all of this at the end of the day, you know, is I embrace tech and music, you know, and traditional ways of music. 
Um, I've always kind of embraced that. And I think, you know, maybe a big part of it is just being from Silicon Valley, but Mm, I just love Mm -hmm. the use of that. And so like, you know, I know there's a lot of these like young kids that just like loop up quick things on their laptop, you know, back in the day, you know, I don't want to do the whole, (laughs) I don't want to do the whole, I, you know, I walked 20 miles in the snow story, but like, you know, we did not really have, we didn't use computers really that much. You know, we used like the keyboards, you couldn't see anything visually, you had to listen to everything and, you know, chop up sounds, um, just with the buttons on a keyboard. And, and then, you know, when we wanted to take it to the computer, there wasn't that much space. And, you know, obviously now it's just so much easier to make all this stuff and you could just whip it up, you know, really quickly, no problem. And all the resources are available to you. Like a lot of these sounds that people are using, like we literally had to go to record stores and find them. And if we were lucky, you know, and had the money to buy the record, then you can obtain that sound. And now you can like pretty much get a lot of those for free. But all of that is to say that, you know, whatever, you know, like I embrace the evolution and what's happening with music. And at the end of the day, if you're making something dope, like I recognize it, you know, I recognize and I embrace it. And there's kids like, as an example, Sam Glattry, you know, a lot of people used to talk about him because he was this young 16 year old kid just whipping up beats on his laptop. But, you know, he'd make this like absolute fire, you know, and you you never know who's going to be that next person. So at the end of the day, it really just all boils down to curation. And this subcategorization is so necessary, whether you like it or not, because there's just too much out there. And there's so much mediocre stuff out there. And there's so many bedroom producers that can just put their music out very easily. You need to be able to filter through all of that. And so who are these people that are going to curate for us? And right now we have these few channels, um, but I guarantee you there's going to be tons more. And, you know, I know that after this tour, I'm pretty sure there's going to be some other people now coming up and doing like these similar types of lo-fi hip hop, chill hip hop tours, you know, like totally Mm -hmm. it's coming, you know? So I think it's just, um, yeah, it's just part of the, part of the game. And, at the end of the day, uh, I just I just love hearing good music. You know, I just want to add more good stuff on my playlists, on my Apple Music, Spotify. You know, so keep it coming. You know, um, that that's how I look at it. Yeah, and I don't know if you ever saw Spotify's investor presentation. Like right before they went public, they had this big deck that they were showing to investors, and on their uh, they ha- they had one slide about curation and about the power of playlists and like right like smack in the middle was one of their lo-fi hip-hop playlists which i I found like really interesting and like that to me is like over professionalizing it but like it's like kind of like front and center that like you know the power of curation absolutely whether in like surfacing good music or like in spotify's case of like building a service around that yeah for sure it'll be more important than ever yeah more important than ever and yeah that's definitely yeah, I mean, this could go into a whole nother, again, another podcast, you know, we should just mm-hmm. do a podcast together. <laughs> but I mean, <laughs> this, this whole thing with I know, like AI is the future, it's here, it's, you know, more and more a reality. And yeah, you can't, well, don't mark my words, but you, you know, it's, it's just not I, I don't see it feasible for AI to provide me, um, you know, like a very well curated playlist that I like per se, but I mean, I think it still takes human consideration. You know, somebody that really, you know, can capture feeling moods, vibes, um, just 
things that are intangible in a lot of ways um, to bring me the kind of stuff that I want to hear. But yeah, uh, for now, yeah, these these playlists are um, it's yeah, it's just so important, you know. Mm-hmm, definitely. Last question I want to ask about like lo-fi hip hop generally before going into the last segment. So all the way at the beginning, you're talking about how you're like spinning vinyl records at your shows, which just like tying that to the the fact that like the, the title of this tour is about lo-fi. And I think mm-hmm. like uh, thinking about the appeal of lo-fi hip hop and even like of these 24 seven live streams on YouTube, I feel like there's a really big factor of nostalgia that's like going yeah. into their rise. Yeah. Especially like the last year or two. Yeah, I can very easily see someone going to these channels and like, yeah, feeling very nostalgic for when they watch a ton of anime or or I guess like especially if you're sampling older sounds or like older tracks from jazz artists. You, you can extend this to the wider music industry as well, where like nostalgia, I feel like is like always a big cash cow, whether it's like legacy artists going on tour or like referencing. I One thing I've noticed, especially now, is everyone's like referencing 90s culture because I think yeah. like people born and raised in the nineties are like growing up and now have maybe more like purchasing power or they're just like mm-hmm. now like more willing to, you know, look back on, uh, they, they, they just react a lot more strongly to yeah. the culture that, that raised them. Yeah. So yeah. I'm just curious as to like, sorry, go ahead. No, yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, um, I, 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 this is important, you know, I think, um, the whole concept that I wanted to portray, uh, on this tour, in addition to just sort of exploring the genres, genre was also uh, exploring it in a way because for me, I believe we can't move to the forward uh, to the future in, in, unless we know the past. And so for me, mm-hmm. I wanted to present this whole tour in a fashion where we're mixing sort of like the I hate to admit it, but I guess like because I'm kind of representing more the kind of the old school flavor, uh, <laughs> and then I want to marry that. I wanted to marry that with. Um, younger kids, kids that are representing sort of this sound now. And so that's why I wanted to bring the whole element of, okay, I'm only going to play vinyl. And, you know, I never really said this, but most of the vinyl that I'm playing is all like 2000s, like 2009 or eight and earlier. Mm -hmm. And so um, if you listen to it in that way, it's like, okay, how is this like stuff that's over 10 years old sound like kind of similar or you know have like a lot of yeah just a lot of similarities with this sound that we know as lo-fi you know so that's what I wanted to do I wanted to just sort of like show people like what inspired me sort of what I think the history of it is and then marry that with some of these younger producers like Ninjoy or Arbor that Mm -hmm. are doing things you know now and that are a lot younger and that are um yeah, putting their take on it. And so I think, yeah, at the end of the day, you can't have a conversation about this lo-fi hip-hop sound without also talking about the predecessors. Yeah, totally. And the fact that it's it's not, like, unique to, I guess, our current time at all. But, like, particularly not, not the sounds and, like, I guess what it's sampling, yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, again, going back to the, you know, subcategorization aspect of things really like if you boil it down i feel like when it comes to hip-hop and beats in that field you sort of have like two categories which is that it falls in it's like okay you're either into like the lo-fi hip-hop boom bap shit or you're into trap you know yeah. the bouncy shit uh-huh. and uh i mean you know i like everything but 
I'm just saying like, you know, there's these kids that are coming up that they literally just don't even go to that trap side and they're just going to go straight to the boom bap. And then you've got, you know, millions of, you know, a lot of people that are going towards the other side. So, yeah, I think it's like this interesting thing now where lo-fi in a way is a way to kind of categorize yourself away from trap, you know, that sound, mm-hmm, that, mm-hmm. that bounciness, I feel like. That's so fascinating. And yeah, just like, yeah, as a last additional comment on that, there definitely is, or I feel like in 2018, there were so many articles asking like, why is the song of the summer so sad? <laughs> like there are like all <laughs> these like songs coming out now that are not just about celebration and partying but like they're mm-hmm. exploring pretty dark topics are not totally positive or i feel like the whole rise of emo rap or like emo soundcloud Ooh. rap is like totally in that realm and like yes. that that's just that's just in the lyrics and i think that, that's so interesting that it's like being reflected in the actual sounds and beats as well yeah yeah and speaking of emo rap you know and stuff like that like yeah there's uh it's pretty amazing when you see artists that have done that well, marrying both sort of the trap sound with the lo-fi vibes, you know, like I think of like XXX, you know, Tentacion, like his Mm -hmm. sound, he was able to just really do those well, both. Um, But yeah, I think, um, I forgot the question now, but... (laughs) but, It was more uh, of a comment, but just like about how that can be extended to wider trends in the industry. So it's it's really cool that like lo-fi hip hop and like maybe how it's positioned against what you're hearing on the radio it's like two paradigms that are growing really quickly and in parallel but like for very different reasons yeah Yeah. i mean you know um one thing that i remember this is like yeah a long time ago when i first started my career like you know um over 15 years ago i was talking to this producer that i really admired at the time dj henbug he produced for a group um in san jose uh some rap groups in San Jose. And he basically had told me, you know, cause he was already in the game long before me. And he was telling me one thing about music is that everything just cycles around. Like this will be a trend now. And then it's just going to like go away. And then it's going to come back in like 15, 20 years. And yep. I think we were talking about that because at the time when I was releasing like my first albums and things, uh, songs, I told him I was making this sort of jazz, hip hop, chill hip hop sound because this is sort of what I grew up on. This is what I love. You know, I love this vibe, but nobody's making music like this right now. And I just want something that I want to listen to, you know? And remember, this is the time of like CDs and shit, you know, where you, if right. you wanted to listen to it, you had to pay like $15, $20 to listen to an old album or something. You can just mm-hmm. go on YouTube and listen to whatever. But so if mm-hmm. I wanted to listen to like some chill, jazzy, vibey, hip hop, 90s style stuff, I had to make that. So that's what I did. And yeah, he and I was telling him, though, that, you know, like, yeah, I don't know, man. Like, I don't know if people are going to vibe with it. Like Japan vibes with it. But like in America, people are not really vibing with it right now. So I remember him telling me that and those words stuck with me. And it's just funny because right now I feel like it's finally started to come back and now people in America are wanting to hear stuff not just trap you know and they want to hear some of that boom bap sound again they want to hear something that that has that vibe so um shoot you know hopefully this is the the moment Totally. Yeah. And hope, I think this is just like the early stage of not a totally new cycle, but maybe like a new iteration of it. Like, I, I think, yeah, like while the sounds may not be unique, I think 
the technological moment is unique for sure. Like going back to what you were saying about people don't have to shell out money from their wallets to buy a CD to listen to a lo-fi hip hop album now or track. Like it is, it is much more accessible. So yeah, it'll be really, really interesting to, yeah, to see how that, how that grows. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's a good point. Yeah. All of that has played a part in wider distribution of the sound and, you know, yeah, at the end of the day, I'm just, again, I just want to hear more good music in my playlist when I drive around and do what I need to do. You know, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm kind of beyond like, you know, oh, is this my time to like blow up or something, you know, because really I've been doing this long enough and I'm already um, just appreciative and just super happy that I'm, I've been living my dream for so long. So um, ultimately, you know, it's, it's just always started with the music and it ends with the music. So that's uh that's what i'm happy about yeah that's awesome cool so just looking at the time i'd love to transition to the last segment just talking about recent music news that we think might be like over or underrated and i'd love for Mm. you to start what do you have in mind um yeah you know like just with um just being busy with this tour and everything i haven't really been keeping up on a lot of my feeds with the a lot of the industry news but just the most recent thing off the top that i that I've been paying attention to was the the whole Old Town Road track that's been. Released. Oh my gosh! Yeah, <laughs> it's like, like you like if you try to escape that, you can't. You just can't. Yeah. Of, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. And and like I don't know why it's just like I love it. You know, I'm just like, you know, like do I like country now or what? But it's like <laughs> right. it's like I just know that I couldn't stop listening to it, and um, I think it's really interesting. Just sort of this just moshing of different genres styles together. I think it's, it's, it's really what it's all about these days. And it's really cool when, you know, somebody does it well, I just appreciate it from a songwriting standpoint and just like how it was put together and the catchiness of it. But yeah, it's really, really interesting how big it got and like how even like billboard took it down from like the country Mm -hmm, charts. mm -hmm. So yeah, this is kind of raising a lot of interesting questions, but yeah, it's the most recent thing, and I just, yeah, I added it on my playlist, and I've been actually listening to it low-key. <laughs> nice. <laughs> now high-key, but... <laughs> yeah, now, now very high-key, yeah. <laughs> yeah, very high-key, but yeah, people are kind of, you know, like, I'll tell some people about it, and they're just like, no, Kiro, no, you know, <laughs> like, like, stop, and then others are like, yo, I love it, you know, so it's like the world is split. Yeah, I mean, like, one, that's how you know... You have like a song that really sticks when it's like that polarizing, which is like totally mm-hmm. understandable. And I guess the conversation that it sparked about um, you know, like what it means to be a country song and like who has the right to be labeled a country artist, I think is yeah like super important. And also yeah. just like there's I don't know if you've seen this online, but I've just at least on Twitter, there's this like concept of the yeehaw agenda that like has been coming up over the last several no, months and it's just that's like a term that people have been co-opting to describe the attempt of people of color and especially african americans to take back more like country and like cowboy oriented kind of narratives it mm. kind of started with these like pictures surfacing being labeled the agenda of these african americans who are wearing traditional western clothes or clothes that you would consider like cowboys would wear and I think the argument, which I think is, like, rooted in evidence, is that, like, some of the first cowboys, even, like, in the United States, were people of color. Like, yeah. they were, like, people in the South who were just, like, working on these farms and ranches. Like, it's happened to be people of color. Right, and then, right. But then, like, the rise and formalization of the Western as a genre of film, for instance, but even just, like, that trope of the cowboy 
was very much like whitewashed. Yeah, you're not going to yeah. see that. Yeah, you're not going to see all the like the, you know, the the black folk in cowboy outfits on in Hollywood. You know, back exactly back then. Yeah, or, totally. You know, um, yeah, sure. but then like also to this like story of Elton Road specifically, just in terms of what it reveals about the music industry and like uh, for for what it takes for an artist to get big is like so fascinating because because i think like the, the song first blew up on tiktok which mm-hmm. uh which is owned by a chinese company but interestingly is oh right like yeah, yeah. the interesting thing is like really exploded in the u.s and the fact that like the like lil nas x i think like had had it down to a t in terms of what it took for a song and or a meme to go viral and he like definitely leveraged that to his benefit and then like uh, he like got signed to a major label deal like a week or two probably like after the song blew up so just like like the pace at which these things are happening is just so fascinating to watch yeah, yeah. definitely and i mean <clears throat> yeah just the fact that he called himself like nas or i don't know if that's his real name but you know nas is like one of my favorite rappers of all time yeah, you know uh-huh. like, it's my favorite hip-hop album illmatic but when I first heard like the name, I was just like, okay, oh hell no. Like what is What's this? Like, not another I mean, not like, another like it just it might as well have been generated by some kind of like rap name generator. <laughs> yeah, one of those <laughs> Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, him winning me over was like, yeah, it's like, okay. You know, I know I know there's something going on for yeah. me there. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So the piece of news that I had in mind is kind of related. Uh, I just saw that Blackpink, the K-pop group, is going to be performing on the Late Late Show with James Corden, I believe. Okay, um, yeah. Which is, so that to They're me is... their whole run with mm-hmm, uh, Coachella mm-hmm. and everything, right? Yep, yeah. yep, Coachella coming up. And actually, like, another piece of news related to that, I saw, like, BTS has a single with Halsey coming out, um, and KISS FM, I think, premiered that either today or they're going to be premiering it this week. And that the, these two pieces stand out to me in tandem because I think it's been really difficult for overseas Asian artists to break into U.S. like traditional media. So like I think mm. up until this point, there probably wasn't any K-pop record that played on terrestrial radio, um, or there probably yeah. wasn't any K-pop group that like performed on late night TV. But like I think these are two examples of that like finally shifting. Yeah, I mean, you know, I've been telling people for years that. Um, aren't familiar with the the whole K-pop or even Korean hip-hop or, you know, Korean hip-hop scene. Um, you know, when you see a lot of them out here in the States, matter of fact, a lot of the fan base is not even Korean. Um, or like don't even know how to speak Korean. Or don't, yeah. yeah. I mean, well, they, you know, these days they, <laughs> they all know the basics. <laughs> they probably know how to make all the food better than I can and everything, you know, being Korean. Right. But right. yeah, like to your point, yeah, like most of them, um, you know, are not, yeah, a lot of them aren't even Asian. And so, yeah, the fan base is just, yeah, it's crazy. It's just really, you can't deny it. So I think at this point, all of these um, shows are embracing these artists in a lot of ways because they can't ignore it anymore Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it's just like it's just like the demand is too strong yeah definitely. yeah i mean you know this is this is great because i feel like um and and we you know we have a long ways to go too you know obviously there's there's more than just like the k-pop groups too you know uh, when it comes to asian artists for sure Mm -hmm. um obviously so you know i feel like we should have more representation too of different styles, but 
Yeah, this is a, this is a great start because <clears throat> going back to Japan, you know, one of the things is all of my music, all of the rap that I've done is all in English and you know, I don't speak Japanese, I don't rap Japanese. And a lot of Japanese people didn't understand really a lot of the stuff I was saying mm-hmm. in my raps. And yet they invited me on these like nation tours, you know, I performed in Japan more than a lot of places. And it always fascinated me that like, yo, these Japanese people have no idea what I'm rapping about. Like, it kind of like saddened me in a way because I put so much time and effort into like these putting these words and, you know, like for me, I, I try to make poetry, you know, it's not just like random words. And so it's mm-hmm. like, damn, they don't really know what I mean by that, you know, but at the same time, mm. it's more fascinating that they can, a country can embrace, you know, your music and not really understand what you're saying. And at that time, uh, you know, America wasn't ready for that. You know, they weren't, you know, no, none of, and I say that because I'd been to so many different types of hip hop shows and it would be more like a novelty when it happened. I remember back in the day, there was a Bay Area group and they, a uh, hip hop group, and they brought this Japanese kid out and he would just rap in Japanese and, you know, everybody would just go crazy. And then, it, but it was like, nobody was like trying to buy his album or anything, you know, exactly. they'd yeah, they yeah, go yeah. crazy uh-huh. at the show. And then it's like, oh, this is a cool part of the show, you know, yeah. but he wasn't going on tours, you know? And so now we're at a point where you can actually have all these artists come here and you don't even know what they're saying. They're, you know, rapping or singing in their native language, you know, but you can be a fan and you could like go to the show and they could pack it out. So it's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Awesome. Um, and yeah, just to close out uh, this episode, is there anything that you want to share? I guess like, yeah, you're still in the middle of your tour, but like, what's the best way people can follow you? Are there any other projects that you're working on at the moment? Yeah, yeah. Uh, just, you know, everything, um, all the information for the tour is on my Instagram, K-E-R-O-O-N-E, or on pluglabel.com. Yeah, so we're just going to hit up L.A., San Diego, Chicago, New York, and Hawaii coming up soon. So pretty excited about that. And, um, yeah, other than that, you know, just um, after finishing the tour, just going to work on uh, releasing a couple new tracks and – um yeah looking forward to that that's awesome uh yeah this is a really good conversation thank you so much for taking the time oh yeah no thank you for having me as usual always good to good to chat for listening to episode five food water and music podcast featuring kiro one if you like what you hear i'd really appreciate you giving me a positive five-star review on apple podcasts as well as a follow on spotify and or whatever other listening platforms you prefer anything you do will be a huge help with discoverability going forward and again if you're interested in giving any kind of financial support you can fund this podcast on patreon for as low as one dollar a month by visiting patreon.com slash Thanks again to Kiro for the intro and outro music for this episode, and to all of you for your support. Until next time.